taking this topic of he said, she said, and we're talking about just our relationships and the difficulties, the struggles, the, the ups, the downs, and we're just going through the book of Song of Solomon, and we're looking at the love story in that passage, and we're applying that to our lives and how we can have better relationships, how we can have stronger marriages, and I'm excited about this, and it kind of reminds me of a story of two men. They were in a cemetery, and uh, the one man was over visiting a, uh, a grave, and this other man was visiting a separate grave, but they weren't too far from each other, and the one gentleman overheard the other gentleman saying, why could you do this? How could you do this? Why did you do this to me? Why did you leave? Just broken just just really pouring out his heart over this this tombstone the other man overheard this and he's like oh man this is devastating i just feel for this guy so he decided to as the man was walking away he decided to walk over to him and just offer his condolences and he said i'm so sorry to hear about the passing of your wife and he said my wife no that was my wife's first husband and <laughs> Yeah, one of those mornings, huh? Okay, I see how it is. All right. It'll take us a little while. We'll get there. Okay, I see how it was. Still a hangover from Freaky Friday. That's what it is. Okay, I see. Okay, all right. Okay, I got it. We'll, it'll take a little while. I'm going to have fun up here whether you're going to have fun with me or not. That's totally fine. All right. We're looking at this passage in Song of Solomon. Chapter number five is where we're going to be. We're going to kind of just continue through on this series. And uh, we're looking at really how to deal with conflict. Because conflict is going to come into our relationships. We're going to deal with conflict. Uh, matter of fact, as we jump into this, we said when it comes to love, anybody can fall in love. All that it takes to fall in love is a pulse. But to stay in love, it's going to take a plan. All that you need to fall in love is a pulse. But if you're going to stay in love, it's going to take a plan. Too often, people are thinking about the first day of marriage and not the last day of marriage. You say, what do you mean the first day? I said it when we started this series. I've never seen an ugly wedding. Never seen one. But I have seen an ugly marriage. And it's because we put so much preparation into that one day. And that one day is spectacular. It's awesome. It's wonderful. And there should be an emphasis. There should be something about that day that makes it significant to that couple. Where they understand this is something we're going to remember for the rest of our lives. And so it is a wonderful decision. It's an important decision. But with that decision, there is going to be some conflict. And I've kind of subtitled this message, and let me read it here real quick. It doesn't matter what color the dress is. You say, what do you mean? This week, my wife and I, we got into a little bit of a conflict. You say, why? Because it's gold and white. It is not black and blue. Chris, would you click over to the next slide, please? It is... For me, I see gold and white. All the smart people, intelligent people in the room, the real true believers, those that will, you know, be feasting with Jesus on the great day. I mean, that, that, the, it's gold and white, all right? But for the rest of you who, you know, you'll make it in the pearly gates, it, it may be black and blue to you. Some of you see black and blue. Now, I have to confess, this is the first time I've seen it on that screen, and for the first time, it actually does look black and blue to me, okay? Yeah, all right, so... Ditch that illustration, that bomb. But how many of you this week, you were arguing with your spouse or somebody over the color? I was going back and forth, and I was just arguing with Jane, just like, no, it is gold and white. It is not black and blue. And it's amazing how something so small can turn into actually a big conflict. 
Matter of fact, in chapter 2, verse 15, even the Shulamite woman said, she said, hey, the thoughts of the, or she even said, hey, let's guard the vineyard from the little foxes. Because those little foxes, that'll destroy the vineyards. You know, it takes years and years for a vineyard, say, in Napa to produce grapes that'll be fit for wine. It takes years and years and years. And what will happen is it's not the bigger animals you have to keep out. It's the little animals that will gnaw at the roots of these vines. And when they gnaw at the roots of these vines, what happens is it destroys the vine. Something you've waited for years and years uh, to bring forth fruit. What can happen in the relationship is it's not the big things that just kind of gnaw. It's the little day in and day out things that just kind of not you don't make the bed well we're going to get right back into it what's the big deal well i like the bed made hey you don't put your dish in the dishwasher you just set it there on the sink and you think we have some made somewhere magically it's going to pop out and just kind of do that and just kind of put the dish in the dishwasher and it's amazing how something so little and hey you didn't put the seat down or you didn't replace uh, the toilet paper when you finish it's these little things that seem so insignificant it's amazing how those can turn into those major things and what happens is it starts off little but then all of a sudden we start getting historical we start bringing all this junk up from the past i remember when we went out to eat you made eyes at that other girl across from the restaurant and you didn't think i was watching but i was watching you and i know that you still think about it that was 10 years ago but i know that you still think about that moment and you're like what in the world was well, something that started so small can blow up to something so big and we have conflict well this morning we're going to see how do we properly deal with that conflict and I was reading a quote this week, and it was excellent. It was, it, was, it was a guy that he lived a long time ago. His name's Richard Baxter. And he said, remember, you both are diseased persons, speaking of a sin disease. He said, that's who you married. And he said, you married somebody. You're in a relationship with somebody who may not be physically broken, but sin has broken them. And when two broken people, they don't make a whole. It is only Christ, as he comes into that relationship, begins to make that relationship whole. You wouldn't marry somebody who has a stutter and then be upset that they keep stuttering. You say, that's just part of them. You wouldn't marry somebody who has a limp and then get mad at them. Why are you always limping all the time? Well, you married me. Of course I'm going to have this. So you marry, you're in a relationship with somebody that they have a problem, and it's much deeper than, oh, they bite their nails, or, oh, they do some weird, they have some weird idiosyncrasy. It's that at our very core, we have a sin problem. And we're going to address how do we deal with that? How do we go on from this? In chapter 5, notice if you would, we're just going to read six verses out of chapter number 5. And can we, out of, we don't often do this, can we stand out of the reverence for the word of God? Just we're going to read six verses, we won't be standing long. And uh, it's just a short passage of scripture. It says, I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. This is now the Shulamite woman who's going to be speaking in verse number two. It says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. She's saying, hey, I'm restless. I can't really sleep. It is the voice of my beloved that, not, that is knocking, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. He's coming in late, okay? And uh, he's coming in late. He's knocking on her door. She couldn't sleep because I guess she didn't come home when 
he, she kind of expected him to be there. So she's a little bit restless. Some of you wives, you know how that is with your children, maybe not home, or maybe you're waiting on your spouse. And you're like, I, I just can't sleep until they're there. Then I can just, I can get that rest that I need. She's in that moment. She's a little bit irritated. And since she's irritated, you know, she's just upset a little bit. And then he comes knocking at the door. And he's ready for one thing, so to get it on. But she's irritated. So there ain't no way, no how that they're about to get it on. Even though he's going to try to sweet talk her. Notice what he says. He says in this verse, he says, my love, my dove, my undefiled one. And she's like, "Mm -mm, no, not happening. Notice verse number three. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? All of a sudden, basically, when I did some research in the Greek and the Hebrew, basically what that means is she's saying, not tonight, I have a headache, okay? That's basically what she said in the Greek, okay? Uh, verse number four, my beloved put his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels or my heart moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with the myrrh, and my fingers with the sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us as we look to your word. I pray that you would speak truth to us. I pray for the relationships in this room, that they would be blessed, they'd be encouraged and strengthened. We're excited about what you're doing in our church, in our midst. I pray that you would use the word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. As I read this passage, you see a conflict breaking out, okay? All of a sudden, he didn't come home when she expected expectation, and now there's disappointment because he didn't meet the expectation. What did we say last week that was key? And I hope you wrote it down. I hope you put it into practice that expectations that are not expressed should not be expected. And too often we do that in a relationship. Our biggest problem is that we are not expressing our expectations. And if you don't express it, you should not expect it. Here, he has an expectation that, man, when I get home, we are going to have a romantic night. Because remember the, how the last chapter ended? It ended with, he came and blew upon her garden. And I won't get too much descriptive than that. But here, uh, they had this wonderful moment as a married couple. They consummated the marriage, and it was awesome, and it was wonderful. And she was saying, hey, baby, I want you all night long. Not him. She was saying it in the passage. And that's like every guy in a relationship's dream is for her to say that. And so here, he's just like, oh, man, round two. Here we go. I hope it's going to go the same way. But it's not because there's this conflict because she had an expectation now she's disappointed and she's irritable but when you look at this passage do you notice something that happens really quick in verse number three she gives the reasons why should she give up and get up she says i put off my coat how shall i put it on i've washed my feet how shall i defile them and then it says my beloved put his hand by the hole of the door there's the lattice of the door and he kind of reaches in almost as if he's like well i'm coming in anyway almost but then he stops and notice he does something that back then would have been hugely romantic. He put some myrrh upon the handle and the locks of the door. You say, what do you mean myrrh? Myrrh was very expensive ointment. It smelled good. It smelled sweet. It's kind of him saying, I'm sorry. Here's a little bit of a peace offering. And then he goes away. But notice something else. In verse number five, so she's upset in verse number three. But then in verse number five, it says, this is the Shulite woman. She says, I rose up to open to my beloved. And my hands dropped with myrrh. All of a sudden, she gets up. 
wait a minute, what, what just happened? At one moment, she's upset, and the other moment, she's going to open the door. And I kept talking to my wife about this. I was like, what happened? I, I don't, what's going on? And she's like, she changed her mind. I was like, what do you mean? She just changed her mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A woman just changed her mind just like that. Like, are you serious? Like, for guys, we have to have a reason why we change our mind. For a woman, I guess there doesn't need to be a reason. It just, you can just change it, and it's all good now. So she just has this moment where she just kind of changed her mind. All right, it's great now. And now she's looking for him. And so we see that here's this relationship, and we're going to see how do they work through some of the conflict, some of the difficulties. And oftentimes, you and I, we're going to be frustrated in conflict, especially if we have a tendency to fix things. I'm a fixer. Anytime somebody brings me a problem, I'm just like, how can we solve the problem? Not, can we sit down and talk about it for three hours and just kind of go back and forth, share emotional stories? I'm like, no, let's get pen and paper. Let's kind of outline this thing. Let's kind of get this thing solved. You're going to talk to this person, this person. And if you're not going to do it, I'll do it for you. And uh, give me your phone. I'll text them. Hey, by the way, you're dead to me, you know, and uh, just whatever. I'll help you out. And I have no problem doing that. But apparently that's not always the best way when it comes to relationships. And I can get frustrated and that frustration can turn into conflict because you're trying to fix something. And oftentimes what's happened in the relationship, it's the last thing that they need. But I want to go through just a few points here as we begin looking at these verses. First of all, are you always ready to react? When it comes to conflict, sometimes, usually I find that there's somebody in the relationship that is always ready to react. You say, what do you mean ready to react? You do one thing, man, and it is World War III. Get ready. It's coming. We will fight over this. We will duke it out. I mean, it's San Jose Sharks versus the LA Kings. I mean, you just anything, the drop of a hat, we will go to bat. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna rumble over this. And sometimes that happens in a relationship where you, you did one little thing, and now it's going to turn into conflict. And I want to ask you the question, are you the person that's always ready to react? You just, man, explode. I realized something. I only appreciate drama in movies. I don't appreciate it in people. Have you thought about that? I could only stand drama in a movie for maybe two hours, but not two years, three years, four years. People who cause drama, I'm saying, you're toxic, We're gonna, we'll be acquaintances, but I don't have to be in your life. You're toxic to this relationship. And what happens is because they're always ready to react, to blow up. They're just lit to pop. And what happens in a Christian relationship, sometimes one of you are like that. Now, I will say this. My wife is not the one that's always ready to react. So that only leaves one other person in our relationship that has this issue, okay? But we, we'll just keep on going. This message is not for him. It's for you all. And uh, I already got it this week. So we'll just keep on going. But understand, when it comes to reacting, how do you react? Are you always just like, hey, ready to go at it? You see, we often unnecessarily complicate conflict by our approach to difficult situations. By your approach. Notice, here's a difficult situation. She was expecting him to be home. He didn't come home. And she's a little bit upset. But she's not getting angry. She's not getting verbal. She's not just uh, tearing him down. And once he picks up on this fact, there's a reason why Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He, at this moment, decides, hey, I'm going to back off. I'm going to leave just a little peace offering, a little token, and I'm just going to back away and give some space. That's a pretty wise thing to do. Just kind of, hey, I love you, but I'm going to give you a little bit of space. Just know... I'm here, I I love you, and he does that. His approach was a gracious approach, and that's how he approaches situations. So often what we do 
is we make assumptions, don't we? And I want to say this. Stop making assumptions and start asking questions. You see, oftentimes you can assume the worst thing about your spouse. You can assume that, hey, she should have been ready and he should have been at home. And they can assume all kinds of things. And what happens in relationship is we begin to assume things that we should not assume, especially if we didn't ask them the question. Instead of assuming, will you stop and say, wait a minute, I'm constantly reacting but instead of me reacting here's how i'm going to approach the situation i'm not going to assume anything about this person i'm not going to assume wrong motive i'm not going to assume wrong intent i'm going to ask the question and oftentimes in a relationship that's a hard thing to do isn't it to say to say that person hey you came home late you knew that i had to get this work done but i had to watch the kids did you know that i had to do this but oftentimes you know why we don't want to ask questions we're afraid that something will come to light That's going to reveal something about ourselves that we don't want to hear. So rarely in relationships do we stop to ask the question. And it's hard to look at that person and say, hey, uh, did you know you offended me like this? Or can we talk about this? Can we have a real conversation? And it's hard to learn to listen. It really is. It's the hardest thing we'll find to do. James 1.19 says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That we're swift to hear, but we're slow to speak. But what happens in a relationship, we do the, op- the exact opposite. I wrote down four things. I want you to write these down if you would. First of all, it starts with observation. When you come into conflict, you need to stop and observe what's going on. I've walked in blindside and been caught off guard by something because I wasn't being observant. I didn't have any observation of what was going on in the situation. And then there needs to be some concentration. You say, what do you mean Concentration. There's nothing more aggravating when you're sitting down to talk to somebody to work out an issue, to work out a difficulty, and they're on their phone the whole time. Or they're on the computer trying to have this conversation. There's nothing more difficult and frustrating when you're at a restaurant and there's so much, this is the few moments you have together, and instead they're watching the ball game. Instead they're watching whatever's on the TV. Instead of their attention being on you and they have their concentration. I'm telling you what, if you want to make that person feel special, you want to make that person feel valued, give them your undivided concentration. Eye to eye. Look at them. Put the phone away. Turn it off. Power it down. Save some minutes. Save some data. Just do that. Siri can wait for you. Siri is really patient, much more patient than we are. And so what you need to do is say, hey, am I concentrating on this person? But too often, that's the last thing we do. We don't concentrate. We just kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. And we just kind of brush past. And we wonder why they're frustrated. And we even look at them and say, I don't know why you're so frustrated. Why I'm so frustrated, even when you say that, it makes me more upset that you're saying that. It just makes this whole thing worse. So having that moment of concentration and then real consideration. Real consideration. How about we put ourselves in the other person's situation? How about for one moment, and it's hard, it's really hard to not think about ourselves. It's really hard to go into a relationship that you've had, you're in the middle of conflict, and now you're going to say, how is that person feeling? What is that person going through? You've heard it said many times, I'm sure, that relationships is 50-50, and, 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 and you've got, you got to come together and uh, 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 only do things when you guys are both united. Only do things when you both are together on it. And I'm saying, well, that that sounds good, but it's not right. Did Christ go to the cross because he wanted to? No. Did Christ 
bend down and wash the disciples' feet because he just, man, everybody's on growth and everybody feels like it? No. And if you're waiting to serve your spouse only when you feel like it, you're going to have a very difficult marriage. You say, how old are you, man? What are you, like 16? You've been married for like four weeks. How can you tell me that? I'm going to say this straight up. You can write the bad emails to Chris. That's fine. He takes all my bad emails. I get the good ones. And that's fine. But I'm just telling you right now, if you want to have a messed up marriage, do exact opposite of what I'm saying here. Just do the exact opposite and you're going to, yeah, it'll be jacked up. Promise you. But if you're saying, no, 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 I want a marriage where I serve my spouse, my spouse serves me, then you can't go by how you always feel. There are going to be moments when you're not going to feel it. You're not going to feel a whole lot of love for that person. You're not going to feel a whole lot of emotion, but you're still going to do it. Do you think Solomon at this moment, here he is, he's hiked up for romance, for intimacy. He's hiked up and ready to get it on. And what happens is, it's not. Uh, I know we've got a mixed audience, and I, I try to be very careful. If I've offended you, I apologize. There's nothing more frustrating for a guy that thinks it's going to happen and it doesn't. Let's just be honest. There's nothing more frustrating. There's nothing more frustrating than the kids all of a sudden start screaming, or you feel them in the middle, in between you. The guy's just like, oh, shoot me, take me, why me? It's just one of those moments, and here he could be really frustrated. But what does he do with his frustration? He puts himself in her situation. He says, you know what? All right. I'll give her some space. Even though he felt one way. And if we are going to have good Christ-centered marriages, we have to stop going by how we feel all the time. Oh, I feel like being intimate. Or I feel like this. Stop being led by your feelings and start saying, hey, I'm going to be led to serve this person. And then also there's clarification. Once you've gone through observation, concentration, consideration, then you go through clarification. You say, what's that? Um, Men and women are very different, very different. So it's good to get some clarification. So practice, and I know this is huge with practice. We'll get to some more preachy stuff. I know that's what you're really wanting. But when it comes to clarification, I'll go back and I'll say to my spouse exactly what she told me, how I received it. And then she'll either say, yes, that's what I'm saying, or no, that's not what I'm saying at all. There's got to be a point of clarification. If you're just saying, well, I observed and I was considerate. No, no. What about clarification? There's things that get lost in translation. And you've got to have that moment where you're saying, no, I want clarification on this. Is this what you're saying? You're saying that you want me to take the trash out, not as the trash man is driving away and I chase him down. But you want me the night before to wheel it out. I got you. Okay, we can do this. And I can watch TV all I want as long as I do that excellent this is a win-win i love it marriage can work this could be awesome man this is great wow man this guy's preaching good my goodness notice stop making assumptions start asking questions next one stop blaming and start blessing start stop blaming it's amazing how we can just play that blame game we could just dig into somebody and we can make something else everybody else's fault i told my wife this week i said I'm the type of person that hates to admit fault. I hate it with a passion. Why? Because I'm not necessarily a type A person, but I am a perfectionist. You say, what do you mean a perfectionist? Those that help me with the setup crew, I am, I mean, the extension cord needs to look a certain way. It needs to be taped a certain way. Things have to be done just a certain way, and that's just how I am. And if it's not done, I feel like I failed. So when somebody comes to me and says, you did this wrong, I'm my own worst critic. So when somebody tells me I did something wrong, it's very hard for me to take. 
Now, it doesn't mean I shouldn't take it. It's very hard because I'm the first one to admit, be like, oh, I'm so dumb. I can't believe I did that. And so what has to happen is we have to stop blaming and start blessing one another. Start doing things and just saying, hey, I love you. That didn't go how we wanted it to, but I'm going to bless this person. Someone has wisely said, keep your words warm and sweet because you may have to eat them. Keep your words warm and sweet because you may have to eat them one day. Slow to speak, quick to hear. In our relationships, we need to start blessing one another. And can I say this? Don't elbow anybody in church. You're going to give it away. People think, well, you can't see me here. I see everything, okay? It all happens, and the people above you can see. So no, no elbowing anybody. But here's how you know if somebody's the blamer in the family. And here's how you know if you are. Do you say this to your spouse or to the person you're in a relationship with? You always, if you say that, you're a blamer. Or if you use this one, you never, you're a blamer. You're not a blesser. And if you find those two statements constantly coming up in your marriage, especially in conflict, you're just blaming. You're setting yourself up for a cycle of blame. And what happens with blame? It goes to the next step. Then we start using guilt and we stop using grace. So stop using guilt. Don't guilt them over something that happened five years ago, a year ago. Hey, if Christ forgot it, we should follow that example and say, you know what? Yes, it hurt. Yes, the emotions are raw. But if you have asked forgiveness, if we have moved on from this, hey, I'm not going to keep bringing this back up. I'm going to let this go. I'm going to let this one pass. Instead, just people just kind of keep bringing it up. My dad, he was a pastor. He used to tell this story. And he used to always bother. It's the grossest story. This boy, he loved this cat, loved this cat. And one day his cat died. So um, obviously I was happy in this story. The cat died. If you know me, I dislike cats, okay? And so the cat died, but he loved the cat. So what he did, he's got a shoebox. And in the shoebox, he stuck the cat's tail through that little circle hole. And he buried the shoebox, but he left the tail sticking up out of the ground. So whenever he wanted to, when he was missing the cat, he could grab its tail, pull it out, and he could spend some time with his dead cat because he loved this cat, what do you think happened after a couple times? One day he grabbed that tail and mittens didn't come with that tail. <laughs> you know what happens though? That's when we just start guilting one another. You start to die. It's just like bringing that junk back up. Opening that box. It stinks. It smells. And that's what we do. You know, we may sometimes get really frustrated with our boss. Maybe really frustrated with a customer. But let's be honest, the person that we can treat the worst sometimes is the person that we made the most sacred vows to. Some of us would never treat a customer the way we would treat our spouse. Some of us would never treat a boss a way we feel like we can treat a spouse. And man, we just take that guilt, and that's our weapon of choice for some of us. And today is the day that we need to repent and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm done using guilt. I'm done with using something in the past to hurt us. Can I say this to you? And you listen to me and you listen well. You're doing Satan's job for him every time you do that. Satan is your worst enemy. The first thing that was created in the Garden of Eden was marriage, the church, and government. You see, all three created in the Garden. Marriage is most sacred. And you are doing Satan's job for him when you just bring up that junk. It's not helping the marriage. It doesn't help. And we just bring that up. Instead of using grace, instead of saying, you know what? We're two broken people. Broken people do stupid things. But if you can forgive me, I can forgive you, and we can work this out. 
So are you always ready to react? Notice secondly, put your rights to rest. And that's a hard thing to do, putting your rights to rest. Have you ever heard the term keeping score? Anybody in here keeping score? Yeah, um, you've always heard probably that it's a bad thing to keep score in a relationship. It's actually a very good thing. It's a very healthy thing to keep score. You say, man, you, your advice is up here. Now you're just down here. No, no, you do need to keep score. You say, why do I need to keep score? You need to start keeping score of the good things instead of the bad things. And if you need to, carry around a little notebook and write down the good things that they do. Because it is so easy to look at that person and always see their faults, their failures, their negativity, everything they do wrong. And do you ever for once stop and consider all the things they do right? We said it's the 80-20 principle. The reality is your spouse probably does 80% of the things you want them to do. It's the 20% that they're still working on. That they're growing in grace. They're being sanctified in Christ. They're becoming more and more of what Jesus wants them to be. And instead of you getting upset that they lack the 20, we oftentimes just say, I'm done. I'm going to go find somebody that has that 20, that still has the figure that they had before they had kids. I'm going to go chase that. Or somebody who had the money before we bought the house, the cars, and paid for college. You know, I'm going to go chase that 20. And then they get that person. They find out that person has the 20, but they don't have the 80. And so what we can do is we trick ourselves into thinking what we really want. But it's not it. Because we're constantly looking to keep score. So today, ask God to help you. I'm going to keep score of everything that they do right. Oh, man, they loaded the dishwasher. That is awesome. Oh, man, she filled up the car with gas. Praise God, we're having revival. This is awesome. I'm not in an emergency, and it's empty. I don't even know if I can make it to the gas station. Nope, I'm pushing it. Yeah, no, no, no. That doesn't help a marriage. And so here we see that, man, here's this person. They're looking for, a, for they're, they're putting their rights to rest. You say, how do we do that? First of all, step away from the protective wall. Notice what this woman does. She's upset and probably has every right to be upset. He wants romance, and she's like, no, I want sleep. I took some uh, Benadryl, and it's not happening, okay? Here he was, and um, in, verse number, in, in chapter number four, it's totally romantic. I mean, he's talking about her, and he's just like in love with this woman. And then in chapter number five, verse number six, the Bible says that she arose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved. But my beloved had withdrawn himself. She opened. She stepped behind the protective walls. Here's what happens in a relationship. You get into conflict. First thing that happens is protective walls come up. And instantly when that happens, you are now no longer one united. You are two separate entities. You've, you've instantly divided. And now you're fighting each other. Instantly. And you can't win. You will not win. Because if you win, they lose. And you think, well, it's okay, they lost. No, 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 you forget the fact that you are one, so you both lost. That's what happens. You hurt the marriage, ultimately. You hurt the relationship. When you say, well, well, they just needed to know that my tools are off limits for cooking with, and they just need to know that my craft corner is not for them to, to plop all their stuff down. They just need to know my space. And what happens is you've just said, hey, we joined together, one relationship, boom, we're splitting. We're splitting. Don't touch my TV. Don't touch my laptop. And we just divide. And the man, the fist goes up. And it's kind of like defensive mode. And at that moment, understand your relationship is now the fight is on. Now it's just fight, fight, fight. It's, it's, it's now going to turn into uh, the decimals are going to go up. The volume level. It's just, hey, who can outdo the other? And then there starts to come out that verbal vomit where you just start hurling insults as long but you have to make that decision i'm going to step away from the protective wall 
I'm going to make myself vulnerable to this person. I'm going to show this person, you know, I, I care about a relationship. I didn't mean to do that. And that takes humility. And that's hard. Because in a relationship, it's tough to make yourselves vulnerable. It's tough to admit failure. But will you seek to step behind the protective wall, step behind the protective barriers and say, you know what, I can admit this, I can accept this. And then also, problems arise when we replace selfishness with service. Today, if you are famous, wealthy, or have some significance, it seems like you get to be served and you no longer have to have anybody serve you. And it seems like that's what today everybody wants. Everybody wants to be rich and famous, not just so they can be rich and famous, because then everybody serves them. And what happens often in a marriage relationship, we sometimes think we got a servant and we stopped being a servant. Oh, man, I never have to eat uh, uh, baked beans and I don't have to live off of ramen anymore. I've got a professional chef. This is awesome. She'll make three meals a day and it's going to be fantastic and it's going to be great. And then it turns to find out she can't cook and now you're disappointed and it's Chef Boardee and you were expecting Chef Wife and, and you're just all upset now that it's like, what's happening here? And it's because you got into this whole mindset that you said, hey, I'm going to be selfish and I'm not going to serve. Throughout Throughout scripture, you see a service mentality. Matter of fact, Jesus said, hey, you want to be the greatest? Be the servant of all. That's what Jesus said. He said, you want to be the greatest? You need to serve others. And here was the person who had every right. He had all authority, all power, and he stooped down to serve others. People that would take advantage of him, people that would hurt him, people that would curse him, people that despised him, and he decided, hey, I'm going to serve you. And guess what? They could not do anything in return for him. There was nothing that they could do for him to repay it. There was nothing that they could do and say, hey, here's some fish, here's some money. Money, I don't need money. I can create money. I don't need fish. Did you see me on the day I fed 5,000 people? I don't need that. Uh, the rich young ruler came to him. Uh, you know, you got status. I don't need status. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I don't need your status. I don't need your significance. I don't need your security. I'm here to serve. And if you and I are going to have strong relationships and strong marriages, it's where you stop saying, I'm going to be selfish. And I'm going to start saying, I'm going to serve one another. I'm going to serve my spouse. And you say, well, if they behave, I'll serve them. They're not going to. They're not going to. And when you get into that mentality, I'm sorry, then, then, then you're going to the point of, if they're good, then I'll be good to them. Okay, let's play that logic out. Let's play it all the way. So, God should only love you when you're good. You're saying that's what you're going to do with the relationship. And God said, hey, that relationship is a picture of our unity with Christ. And aren't you glad that Christ, even when we're not good, he's good to us. Even when we're not lovable, he loves us. Even when we were nothing, God says you're everything. Even though when we were dead in our sins, he said, hey, I'm going to die on a cross for you. And you can't take out the trash. Heaven, help us. We can't take care of our spouse's needs. We can't turn off the television. We can't get off of Facebook for 15 minutes. We can't say work is going to wait a few minutes. We can't say, you know what, the dog is just a dog. I don't care. I care more about my spouse. You can't say, and I care more about the vehicle than we do that person. Because we've gotten in this mentality where it's all about us. And we've replaced service with selfishness. And we've got to get back to a point where we say, I'm going to serve my spouse. I'm going to serve them. 
You see, this is a funny thing. For women, a good relationship leads to a good sexual relationship. For men, a good sexual relationship leads to a good relationship. It's amazing how the two are very different, but that's how they work. That's just how it works. And guys, you knowing that and you using that is okay. You say, no, 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 that's cheating. No, if you'll serve them, you will find that they will serve you. Just how it goes. But it's the moment you say, no, I'm going to have it my way. Okay, all right. You're leading by example. And because you're leading by example, you're going to reap what you've sown. So the walls are up, the defenses are up, and you're wondering, why is she always upset? Okay. You led. You started it. I'll tell you, most of the problems in my marriage are because of me. Honest to God. I told my wife the other day, I said, you know, I don't, I, when it comes to you and I, I said, you are, and I'm not just because she's in the room scoring brownie points saying this. Maybe. Hey, babe. You look good. Sunday fun day. Oh, it's church. Oh, I'm, excuse me. We're in church. Get dignified in here. Got a reputation of this here church. But what happens is, instead of serving that person, and I was telling my wife, I was saying, you know, I, you're more spiritual than me. And if there's something wrong in our relationship, it's my fault. And I told you, it's very hard for me to admit any, any fault. I'm German-born. That's pure Aryan race right there. That's, you know, that's like, it's really hard for us to admit fault. It really is, okay? Let's just put it out there, okay? And I just told her. And I was like, look, if our relationship is going to be strong, if it's going to thrive, I'm going to lead by example by being the first one to say, you know what, the problem is not you, the problem is me. You see, our greatest problems around us, our greatest problems are not around this church. Your greatest problem is in you. And the moment we recognize that, and it's so difficult, don't think that, oh, he just gets up there and that's just easy for him. No. One day I'll write a book about everything that goes on behind the scenes of what goes on, and then you could see, oh, that's why he said that. That's why he preached that. Yeah, because there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that God just kind of says, I'm going to make you into who I want you to be. And that process is not always going to be pleasant, but it's going to be for your good. Understand, we've got to put our rights to rest. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Serve one another. You want a happy, awesome, thriving, out-of-this-world relationship? Just serve your brains out every chance you get, no matter how tired you are, no matter how, how difficult it seems. And you will find, you'll say, well, that person will take advantage of me. You will see something, and here's what you have to trust in, the Holy Spirit to work. That leads us to our third and final point. Number three, look for a reason to restore. Look for a reason to restore. You say, I'm in the midst of conflict, and I'm upset. They've said something. They've done something. I'm offended. I'm calling the divorce lawyer. Some of you have been there. Some of you know those moments. You know it just to the point where you think, how can we keep going? How can we keep doing this? And then notice something that we see in this passage. 
This is amazing to me. So this woman, this Shulamite woman, verse number six, she goes out and she's going to pursue the person she loves. And verse number seven, she's wandering about the city and she comes to the watchmen that went about the city, found me. And these watchmen, they smote her and they wounded her. They beat her. You say, wait a minute. Doesn't, didn't she say, hey, I'm, I'm the, the, the wife of the king? These watchmen, they didn't believe her. And at that moment, you could see her just wanted to get really upset, of course. They wounded her, and the keepers of the wall took away my veil from me. Basically, they were taking her clothes. You say, wait a minute, this is getting really bad. No, they just wanted to humiliate her. Notice verse number 8, and she said, or skip down to verse number 9. And this is what those guards asked. They said, what is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved? That thou dost so charge us. Here these guards are like, is that guy worth you going through all this? They beat her. They took her veil. They wounded her. They humiliated her. And through all that, you think she'd be upset, right? You think this is done. Done. This relationship is over. Notice what she does. She says, my beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head is the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are the eyes of doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as the bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with pearl. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet yea he is altogether lovely this is my beloved this is my friend that's what she says to those guards he says that's who i'm going after that's who i want because she has a reason to restore the relationship she has a reason to keep going ruth graham said this she said a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers people that are good at forgiving one another but understand, forgiveness is an offering, and like many meaningful offerings, it's going to cost you something. And I'm so tired of us, when we do something wrong, we just kind of say, oh, I'm sorry, kind of flippantly, kind of trifle. No, no, no. Forgiveness is an offering, and every offering should cost us something. It shouldn't be just something flippant. And I want you to see, her, the reason is not going to be your spouse. She said, I'm in the midst of conflict. Why should I restore this relationship? And if you're looking to your spouse for a good reason why you should restore it, that's not a good enough reason. Because there will be days you're going to look at your spouse and you're going to say, you're not worth this. Especially when maybe they're a little out of shape. Especially when, man, their gravity is starting to take effect and things aren't looking like they look like in their 20s. And all of a sudden, you know, um, there's a sale on the Twinkie aisle. I mean, there's lots of things that happen. And you're just thinking, I don't know if I'm really into this. And you're going to look at your spouse and you're going to say, you know what, your spouse isn't always going to be a strong enough reason to stay in the relationship you say well well circumstances and I'll, I'll i'll have a great house and i'll have the i'll have my kids in the best schools and we'll drive the nicest cars we'll have job security your situation is not going to be enough to keep you in the relationship hello brad and jen that didn't last they had it all right they were america's sweetheart couple they didn't last because that's not enough and this is the crux of the whole message and if you're, if, if you're not, and this is going to be something that, that I'll be honest, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, 
this will be the hardest part. You're, you're almost going to say, I, I don't agree. The reason to restore is found in the Savior, Jesus Christ. I can only forgive because he forgave me. Because he forgave me such a debt. He forgave me so much. That's the reason. The reason isn't strong enough for my spouse because they're a broken, sinful, selfish person. Don't say that to their face, but that's what they are. And don't say it in the middle of conflict. It won't make things better. So, well, the pastor said it. Yeah, don't always quote me, okay? Here's the reason. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present in himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, that he might present himself a glorious church, so it men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Are you willing to say, you know what, I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church, like Christ loved the people of the church. Christ died. He gave himself for it. He allowed his body to be broken for it. And that's the reason why. And if our marriages are going to be as strong and awesome as wonderful, when you're upset and you're in the middle of conflict, it's going to be really tempting to look at Dr. Phil and say, hey, what's a good reason to stay in this relationship? Do it for the kids. You won't. Do it for the security. Do it because you can change them. You won't change them. You can't change them. You can't change yourself. How can you change somebody else? And ultimately, let me back up for a second. That means you don't trust the Holy Spirit to do what the only the Holy Spirit can do in your life. Only the Holy Spirit can truly change you and make you new. Only the Holy Spirit can change your life. And if you don't trust the Holy Spirit to work on your spouse as you continue to serve, continue to love, it will never work. Megan and Austin this week, they're fighting a lot. And it's almost kind of funny to hear them fight. Megan's four, Austin's two. And uh, Austin's a pretty demanding little guy. Pretty uh, uh, stubborn. Megan, she's a sweetheart. She really is. But when Megan gets her mind set on something, it's going to be done. Because Megan's at that age, she can kind of listen to mom. And mom said, Austin, Megan, go clean your room. And they, they share a room. And all of a sudden, it didn't take long between you could hear the fighting and back and forth, the yelling, the screaming. And all of a sudden, Austin's crying. Austin's crying. So, of course, Jane goes in and says, Austin, why are you crying? Sissy hit me. Yeah, and then Jane will look at Megan. Megan, what happened? He wouldn't clean up his room, and you told us to clean up his room, and so, so, so I hit him. Or she actually used the word palo. That's a spanking in Tagalog, palo. He got a palo. And uh, I remember my wife saying this. Megan, I'm mom. Let me be mom. Let me deal with that situation. You just come to me. I want to say this to you. If you're in a difficult situation, you're thinking, I can't change my spouse. You're correct. But will you let God be God in the relationship? Will you let God change them? Will you just step back and just say, you know, only God can change this person. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say. I can preach at them, I can threaten them, I can manipulate them, and all of it would be in the motive of self-interest. It would be. You're saying, but this person just needs to change. This relationship would be great. They're thinking the same thing about you. It doesn't work that way. This is a vicious cycle, people. So the moment you just say, you know what? 
I'm going to trust God to change you as he's changing me. And I'm going to restore this relationship as Christ has called me to restore. So what do you want to do? You want to go to the nasty Italian restaurant? We'll go to the nasty Italian restaurant. You want to go eat this food? We'll go eat that food. You want to go do this? I'm here to serve. And you will find that over time, this person, they'll be like, wow. This person just loves and just serves. I'm amazed. And you may laugh at this. You'll see the most beautiful women with the ugliest guys. The ugliest guys. I'm just like, something's happening. You know, she can't see. She's blind. She's blind. Where's her guide dog or something, you know, because there's no way. There's no way that guy got that girl. No way. And then whenever you ask them, they're just like, he's so kind to me. That's it? I mean, I got a six, I got a 12-pack. I mean, I thought that would be something, you know, impressive. And that doesn't work, no. When you say, I'm going to be kind. I'm just going to love that person. Forgive that person. It's amazing. Those are the qualities that the female order kind of finds almost more attractive. See, guys, we're, we're very superficial. If you haven't noticed that, we just, we just are. And here... Even if you were talking to a bunch of ladies, guys, if we could overhear ladies, which I'm not saying we'd want to, if, if they were talking about, hey, what do you find most attractive about your husband? It's not when you step out of the shower and you flex in front of the mirror. That's not when they're like, oh, let me get some. They, they don't say that. that. That's not it. I've tried. It doesn't work. Sorry, mental image. I apologize. This is church. I know that. But it's those moments when you, you're loading the dishwasher. She's like, oh, you just wait. <laughs> Speaking from experience. It's those moments when you just, hey, I'm going to take the kids. You don't have to. I'll watch the kids for you. It's the moments when you just say, hey, how about you sleep in? I'll make them breakfast. It may be toast and something else but i'll i'll fix something i'll do something the moment you serve if our wives were in a room and they were talking to each other they would say those are the moments they find you the most attractive is when you are serving them it's how god wired them and the more you serve the more you will find that that relationship just grows and it just flowers and just comes alive and you will see god begin to change them because you'll never change them and if you're constantly looking to change your spouse, and I said this in our growth groups this week, you're going to start looking at your spouse one to two ways. Either you're going to start to look at your spouse as a vehicle to your happiness or an obstacle to your happiness. Either way, the relationship is doomed. I would have wrote that down. That was gold. <laughs> I would tweet that. Hashtag. If you're looking at your spouse as a vehicle to your happiness... Or as an obstacle, either way, either one, your relationship is doomed. Until you get to the point when you see your spouse as someone you can love, serve, and respect, your relationship's going to have constant conflict. You're constantly going to be looking at that dress. It's black, it's blue, it's gold, it's white, it's periwinkle. I don't care. Stinking dress causing conflict in our home. The dress is just revealing what's already there. Ooh, We don't got time for that message, but that would be a good message. The conflict that's already there. There's stuff already under the surface that that stuff like the dress just draws it out. We don't have time to keep going. Every head bowed and every eye closed.